And my name's Anne, I'm one of the pastors here, uh, if you're new today. It's such a privilege to finish up this series that's just a four-week series, and this is the fourth week, and it's an identity series that's been titled Meant to Be, and each week we looked at something um, that was said about who our new identity is in Christ. And I get to finish that with meant to be connected. But I have to say, just to give you some relief, is this series could have been two years long because the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he actually, in more than 90 places, talked about our identity in Christ. So we could have explored so many more things than we're touching on. But today, I have the privilege to look at meant to be connected. I asked a pre-Christian friend if she ever thought about Jesus. It was just part of our conversation, and she responded quickly with, I try not to. Now, maybe you've responded that way at some point in your life. You know, I didn't know all the chapters of her story at the point that she said this to me, and I really didn't have any idea of the shame and the guilt that she was carrying around with her that made her want to hide from any consideration of who Jesus was. And I have to ask myself, when I consider her story, how does she and people like her get connected to God when the shame or guilt that they're carrying makes them want to avoid even thinking about him? Well, more of her story later in our talk today. But what about this week we've had in our culture and our personal connections with each other? You know, Friday, the USA Today headlines was this, a supreme clash And this headline really represented an ongoing culture war and partisan divide that's going on in our country. And the question we ask when we're talking about meant to be connected is this, are we connected only if we agree? And are we disconnected if we see things differently from one another? Because right now, it sure seems like it in our culture. So how can you and I How can we be who we were meant to be, connected to God and connected to one another in this kind of environment that we're living in right now? You know, connection, Jesus prayed for it for all of us, not just for his disciples back in the day, but for us as well. In John 17, verses 20 and 21, listen to his prayer for us. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, those 11 with him, but also for all who ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me, folks. Here's what he prayed. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. We were meant to be connected to be joined in a relationship with God and with one another. But we ask ourselves this question, how can we live that out in our world as it is today? And the big idea that we want to just keep focusing in on today is this, that God has connected us to him and to one another through the forgiveness that Jesus purchased on the cross. It's not a new idea, is it? but it could be very profound. 
So we want to look at Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11, but I want to remind us of something first. It could be really helpful for us to recall that the Apostle Paul and his listeners were really familiar with partisan divides and culture wars. Besides the ongoing presence and conflicts with the occupying Roman government, there were many religious leaders of sects who argued and broke off and challenged Paul and other Jesus followers. And there were idol worshipers also, and those who profited from them. So you can read about this in Acts 19, about a riot that took place in the very city that this letter was originally addressed to, in Ephesus. When Paul presented the gospel message, it began to interfere with the money that some were making off of marketing products celebrating the favored goddess of the city of Ephesus, Artemis. Now, this uh, short time later, because Paul did escape with his life from that conflict, Paul goes on to Jerusalem, and while he's in Jerusalem, he makes a big mistake. He takes his Gentile friend Trophimus with him into the temple. The truth is, though, he didn't take him past the barrier, but they thought he did that he took him past the barrier that Gentiles cannot go past. And so they grabbed Paul and began to beat him to death. And that was only interrupted by the Roman officials who saw what was going on and wanted to find out what was happening here. So why am I sharing this at this point? Well, it's this. Paul's not writing from a warm, fuzzy context. He's not sitting there holding his teddy bear with all is right with the world. He really does get what we're going through right now in our culture. And so I thought it'd be great if we took a look at what he says about being connected to God and being connected to one another. So I'm going to read from Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. But as I do that, I'm going to interrupt myself, which it's okay, right? Because I'm interrupting me, not you. I hope you won't find it distracting but helpful. So let's pick it up in verse 11. He says, therefore, remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Okay, we're not going to go into deep description on circumcision here. Um, I think a lot of us know what that is, but if you're super new to your Bible or to Jewish culture, it's the removal of the foreskin um, for men. Okay, and so what is happening here is Paul is doing something that sometimes could be difficult to understand. He's reminding these Gentile believers of who they were before they knew Jesus. He, and he goes so far as to remind them in this verse of their most despised nickname at the hands of the Jews. They hated this nickname, the uncircumcised. They found it very degrading. And I asked the question, why is Paul dredging up the past anyway? Well, he continues in verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Well, I look at all the ways that Paul used to describe their former life. And I think, how many 
more descriptors could he use about how disconnected they were from God, right? He uses about seven of them. And I have to wonder, why did Paul do that? Because Paul wanted them and us to remember just how far from God they used to be. And why was that? So that we would remember along with them what happened that changed all that, that took them from this absolutely disconnected place with God. And what I see when I look at all these words is I get a picture in my mind of this Lego sculpture that happened out at OMSI a year and a half ago or so. And this was part of a display called the human condition. And this particular one, you can see that this person is trying to move forward, but he has hands holding him back. And I think this represents so well these Gentiles and how they were living, how they used to live. They were separate from Christ. They were excluded from the Jewish race. They were foreigners to the covenants of promise. They were without hope. They were without God. They were far away from God. They were completely disconnected. And as much as they might have wanted to be close to God, they couldn't get there. These things were holding them back. So what happened to change all this? And before I mention that, I just want to mention that maybe today there's someone here who feels just like this person. You want to be near God, but for some reason you feel like something's holding you back. And you are going to hear the good news today that Jesus has done everything that's needed for you to be free to move near to God. That whatever you've done, whatever you think you've done that is unforgivable, that's kept you from God, that that's not true. That's the lie of the enemy. And those things have been removed through the shedding of blood by Jesus Christ on the cross. So how is it that we're connected to God and each other? by the blood of Christ, as I just mentioned. And Paul goes on to continue his explanation. He says, for he, that is Jesus, himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So in verse 18 there, there's this word access, and that word there in the Greek, prosagus, It's translated access, and it's the technical term for the right of free approach into the presence of a king. We've been given a free approach because of what Jesus did on the cross in front of God himself. And the thing is, without access, there is no connection. But on the cross, Jesus flung the door open into the presence of God, and it can never be closed again. Your sin, whatever you supposed you have done that would keep that door closed, is null and void. Jesus has taken care of it. Jesus paid the price for our access into God's presence. Now, there was not only this access word, but actually in the Persian royal court and these 
Listeners would have been familiar with this. There was an official whose formal job was to introduce people who wanted access to the king to the king himself. It was the intermediary to get them into the king's presence. And Jesus took care of that once and for all for us. Because of the cross, there are no more barriers, no division, separation, or hostility with God. So show of hands, how many of you have ever had an all-access pass to a sporting event or a performance? Anybody in this one? Every service has had, yeah, yeah. Love to hear what those are after the service. There's been some real fun ones. Well, an all-access pass allows the bearer to go places where only employees or performers are allowed to go at a performance or a sporting venue. And in Christ... What Paul is saying is we are given an all-access pass to God. We who were far away, we who were excluded, we who felt held back, if you will, we who are sitting in the fifth balcony, we're center stage, standing next to God himself. That's what Jesus dying on the cross did for each one of us. We've been brought near. He wants us to know that nothing has to hold us back from experiencing the fullness of his presence. But the cross of Jesus didn't just connect us to God and give us access to him. It also connected us to one another. And we share some things in common. And this is really important at a time like this in our culture because you and I may hold wildly different views on politics, on current events, on social movements or justice issues. Yet in Christ, we've been brought together by what we share in common. And Paul picks us back up in verse 19, where he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And there's just three things that we are connected around that Paul mentions in this particular passage. And I want to highlight these for us because it's so important that we remind ourselves of what we share in common, even if we disagree on some things. Let's look at that first one is we're citizens of God's kingdom. We are first and foremost citizens of God's kingdom, not the United States, not Australia, not that your country of origin, the country we were born into. And this is sometimes hard to get our mind around. When I traveled to Guatemala a couple times this summer, each time we had to go through customs. And every time you go through customs, you have to prepare a little form for them. And you have to answer this question, what your nationality is. And of course, I always just jot USA. But every time I'm reminded of the overarching truth that Paul's trying to emphasize for us here, that we are above that, above our country of origin, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And that's something that we share in common, whether we agree on all these issues or not. And we want to not forget that because it becomes important as we continue to relate to one another. So 
We are citizens of another kingdom, and it's an eternal kingdom with Jesus as our king. And Paul reinforced this in a lot of places in Scripture. But just for instance, in Colossians 1.13, he said, He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. We are connected as citizens of God's kingdom, and that's bigger than your country of origin, no matter what country you're from. That's our first citizenship. Secondly, we're members of his household. We've been talking about this. Actually, every week it's been mentioned by each person teaching about our identity, that first and foremost, you and I are sons and daughters of God, that we're part of his family. We have all the rights and privileges and all the acceptance and love and belonging of being his dear children. We are his. And thirdly, we are joined together to become his dwelling place, his temple, Paul described. Now, we're not really temple-oriented, but I want you to think with the listeners here, because otherwise we'll miss the significance of this for his original audience, and therefore for ourselves as well. Because Paul makes this reference to being joined together into God's temple. And this was such a powerful reminder to these listeners of how far they had come from being separated from Christ to being brought near, that they were as close as center stage with him now. And this is where that came from. You see, when they heard temple, they could imagine this. In this very center of the temple was the Holy of Holies. And that was completely shrouded and kept, everyone was kept out except for one person once a year, and that was the high priest. Now, outside the Holy of Holies was the court of the priests. And this was only for those in the Levitical priesthood, those who had been ordained as priests, and they got to go to the court of the priests. And outside of that was the court of the Israelites. And this was only for the male Jews that could go into that area. And outside of that was what was called the court of the women. You see, women were lowly in social status in that day, having the status of property on par with that. And women were not allowed to go past the court of women. And then outside of the court of women, we finally get to the court of the Gentiles. Didn't I tell you it was fifth balcony? It's at least fifth, maybe seventh. Okay, so they're sitting there on the very outside. So when Paul talks about you and I being connected together into this amazing dwelling that God is going to reside in, this temple, they had this picture of these barriers. And here's the deal. That court of the Gentiles, it was separated from all the other courts by a low wall. And on that low wall was a sign placed every so many feet. And that sign said, no Gentiles allowed beyond this spot or you will be killed. So when they saw this, they were reminded of how far they had come in the presence of Jesus. And in fact, in Acts 21, that I mentioned, Paul was accused of taking Trophimus, his Gentile friend, past the barrier in the temple. This is what they were accusing him of. And this is why they tried to beat him to death, because they thought he had taken a Gentile past that outermost court. 
And what Paul is telling them and reminding us is that the blood of Jesus destroyed all those walls, all those warning signs have been abolished and that the curtain isolating the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus breathed his last and the hostilities between Jews and Gentiles have been abolished and a relationship with God is available for us all. Those who are far off and those who find themselves near are now one body with complete access to the Father by one spirit, the Holy Spirit. We became his dwelling place, all of us together. Not one of us singly, but all of us together. And this was a dwelling place with no segregation, no prejudice, no exclusion by race or by male or female, no exclusion by social status. And this is our new reality. It is not just for heaven. It is for now. It's the reality that we need to represent and live out as being Christ's reality, post-crossed. He purchased this for us. And we're being asked to remember how different Things used to be for us before we knew Jesus. Because Jesus shed his blood on the cross. And I want to ask you today to remember this as we listen to each other's commentary on the social events going on around us and on the culture wars being waged around us and on the rhetoric of partisan politics. And as we read posts from people we know and people we don't, that represent different views perhaps from ours. And we sit there and think, I'm going to disconnect from them instead of looking at the things that we share in common and the new reality that's come our way. And it's our assignment to make that a real reality, little by little in our own world. And we remember this as we walk with family and friends and People like the woman that I mentioned at the start of this talk, who I discovered was carrying around the shame of having had two abortions alone and in secret. And I want to encourage us all to let the same forgiveness of Jesus be extended in every relationship and conversation we have, not just those whose views are the same, but those especially who express opposite views or different views. Let that be what we share in common, the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. And I want to invite you to listen again to Paul's words, this time from the message. And I'm going to read it without interrupting myself. And if it helps you to close your eyes and listen or follow on the screen, please do that. But he's said it so beautifully. Listen as I read. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's way had no idea of any of this. You didn't know the first thing about the way God works. Hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of the rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. You hadn't a clue what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood... You who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that now to get, we're together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. 
He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. And he repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. And Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace. And that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. And he treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Do you realize that he's saying that right now, not when we become just like Jesus. Right now in our imperfection, we're not in his likeness yet, right? We're becoming that more and more like him. But right now, God is quite at home in this temple that he's building. And that's amazing. We are connected to God and to one another, united, equals, in on everything, and Jesus did not just decide to bring one group up to the other. Gentiles equal now with Jewish people. No, instead he decided to take these two groups who had had long-term animosity and make out of them one new humanity united together. Something that's greater. And that's who we were meant to be. So how do you and I live that out with headlines screaming at us like a supreme clash. When women and minorities speak truth to those in power and find themselves objects of hatred and condemnation and judgment, when conversations between believers have become adversarial and people start questioning whether you could possibly be a Christ follower if you hold that view, making judgments on each other's eternal destiny because we don't agree because our views expressed are not always shared. When to disagree is to invite rejection, not connection. I want to challenge us today that Jesus showed us what to do. I'd like you to recall the scene with me. Jesus is in his final moments of his life. He's hanging on the cross. After having been slapped and spit upon, and insulted, and mocked, and beaten, and stripped, and bloodied, 
and with the guards throwing lots for his clothing at his feet, Jesus utters these words, his final words that he spoke over those with power. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. What are we to do? What are we to do? Forgive as we have been forgiven. Jesus died for that person that we disagree with. He's heartbroken over what's going on in our culture right now, but probably not for the reasons that those on the right or the left or the green or the independent or the socialist or the communist, whatever party or affiliation somebody has, think that he's upset about. He's heartbroken when we forget who we were meant to be and we forget the hope of the gospel is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what brings us together, the forgiveness that he purchased on the cross of Jesus. And that's what we're called to extend to each other when we disagree, when we're fighting about things that aren't eternal, that aren't going to be forever, that aren't a part of God's kingdom. And Paul lets us know what it looks like when the rubber meets the road in our day-to-day life to live this way. You know that a couple weeks ago, Bo was talking about how the first three chapters of Ephesians gives us the mountaintop view, and then the last three chapters bring us down into the kitchen or our home or our job, up close and personal, or in our car or out in our neighborhood. And that's what Paul does, because in Ephesians 4, 32, he says these words. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ, has forgiven you. Would you read that with me? Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. We're going to take communion together in just a couple minutes. And as the ushers begin passing the trays of gluten-free crackers and juice Please take a cracker and a cup of juice and hang on to that until all of us have them in hand. And then we'll take our next step. You know, as we take communion, I want to challenge us today to remember who we are. We are God's children empowered to love and serve the world around us. And we share God's image with every other human being on planet Earth. Though we still don't share all of his likeness, We are becoming more like him as we continue to follow him. And we are citizens in God's kingdom. And this world and its politics and power are temporary. Jesus angered the rulers of his day, and he didn't try to engage in their power struggles. Instead, he knew what he came for, and he just kept heading forward toward the cross. The real answer for all of us And my challenge today is this. Let's extend the forgiveness of Jesus, the same forgiveness he extended in one of his final breaths to those who crucified him. Let's forgive repeatedly, regularly, generously, and frequently those around us and act like who we were meant to be, forgiven people connected to God and connected to each other through every chapter in our story.
A few weeks ago, I had the radio on and I was driving in the car home from Evergreen and a program came on that channel and it was kind of uh, making fun of our president's verbal faux pas that week at his expense. And I found myself uh, laughing at the first couple ones they shared and then I just heard the Lord say, turn it off and pray for him. He wasn't saying it's a matter of do you agree with him or not? Or do you think like him or not? It was a matter of he is another human being placed in a position of authority. And I've asked you to extend the forgiveness of Christ toward him and to extend prayers for your leader, not mocking. And I had to repent right then. I knew he was not just saying, change what I did. He was saying, you better repent for what you did. And that's what I did. The thing is, today we're going to sing this song, Nothing is Holding Me Back from You. And I want to invite you, as we sing this song, and you're holding those elements in your hands, I invite you to take a few moments with Jesus and just drop back from singing and reflect on the state of your own connection with God and your connection with others in your world, even reflecting back over this past week. And ask yourself this, is there something I need to receive Jesus' forgiveness for, like I had to? Is there someone I need to extend his forgiveness to? You know, they don't even have to know about it. We can forgive without informing people. And then whisper that to Jesus. And then as the band continues to play, I invite you to take the bread, which represents that broken body, that body that was beaten, that was slapped, that was stripped, those ears that heard, those insults and mocking, those eyes that watched as others cast lots for his clothing. Reflect on that, the blood that was shed for each one of us, that he did that not just for us, he did that for every other person we're going to encounter this week, whether they're on the radio, whether they're far off, or whether they're near. And then take the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us. And with that, he took care of anything that would hold you back from God. I don't care what you've done. Jesus took care of it. You don't have to be held back from a relationship with God. All you have to do is say yes to following him. And I invite you to do that business with God as we sing this song and take communion. And then we'll come back together.